When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, no. Is it everywhere? No. Sure. Stay and sort that out. We can have dinner another time. Amazing. Whether it's cancelled plans... <laughs> Need to get in the kitchen and calm down. Or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. It's been a glorious weekend. Truly glorious. Wow. And here we are. <laughs> here we are for episode twenty nine now wow. of the bloodandmud.com podcast. Uh, twenty nine episodes in, we remain the sweary pipe bomb of rugby knowledge, and also the Alan Quin- Alan Quinlan's kicked ass of the rugby broadcast world. <laughs> I am Lee Calvert. I'm the editor of bloodandmud.com, and he is. I'm Josh Gardner of rugbyshitwatch.com. This week, it's been a bumper, glorious international weekend. We'll be looking at the shit good ratings and we'll be dipping into the rugby lexicon, which we will explain mm. as we get through. You can contact the podcast on uh, at Blood and Mud on Twitter and Josh is... At Josh Gardner or at Rugby Show Watch. Um, we're available on iTunes, on Acast, on SoundCloud and pretty much, to be honest, anywhere you can ram our RSS feed in, which you can find on bloodandmud.com, the website. Um, it's time for me to once again shamelessly uh, grub for reviews. <laughs> on iTunes, uh, we actually so please leave a review. But we received a view this week, Josh, from the US of A. Oh, all aboard! All aboard! It was from Dustin Tig in the US, and he said, That's "Good American name." Yeah, and let me. Uh, he said, and let uh, I'll try to do an American accent to make it, you know, more genuine. <laughs> oh God! Uh, These guys are hilarious. They are very blunt about things, but also have a great sense of humor and actually do know the game well and can give a good analysis. As a rugby fan in America, in having awful coverage of it here, it's great to have some good content from across the pond. So there you go. Um, you're not as shit as the American coverage, I think is what he was saying. Which is I, Yeah, I, I, basically, I, it's surprisingly vaguely near what we're on about sometimes. Yeah, I, the I'll take that. I'll take yeah, that. absolutely. I'll take that. All the live long So day. thank you very much, Dustin, and thank you for uh, who is, it seems, probably our one listener in America to mm. add to our nine listeners over here. But if you are... 
out there listening to us on iTunes, and please do leave us a message. If you can spare a few seconds to do a quick uh, star race, leave us a message. That would be really, really helpful. Right, Josh. Indeed. I am going to get this out of the way very, very, very early. Okay. James Haskell had Mm -hmm. a good game. He had a... This is not a drill. Are we, how are we gonna are we gonna let this go go? Or we, yeah. There you go. <laughs> he had, yeah, no, he had a cracking game. Um I mean, you know how eventually, after months of me like raging against the inherent wrongness of Thomas Waldrum scoring every week, <laughs> I just had to throw my hands up in the air and say, you know, fuck it, I'm wrong. The world is insane, but clearly I'm wrong. I think maybe the time has come for you to do something similar with the Hask. Because <sighs> like regardless of the fact that you shouldn't be it shouldn't work as a test open side, regardless of his massive flaws in his game. He was outstanding on the weekend, and I've just, I've, I've got a little audio clip that I'd like to play that I think. Oh, you've been preparing. Oh God! I, 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 I saw this. I heard this on the comms, and I just thought, I want this to be your new ringtone. So uh, let's see if this works. Bear with me uh, momentarily here. Oh, yes. Yes, he did, didn't he? Let's, do you want to hear that again? Do you want to hear that? Yep. Let's just do that. Oh, I broke it now. See, this is what happens See, when God's James Haskell... God's trying he to tell you bit. that this is not something you should be repeating. James Haskell stepping! And it's Miles Harrison saying it. That somehow makes it even worse. <laughs> and step he did though I mean you've got to give it to him he stepped off his left foot the lesser spotted left foot step as somebody <laughs> said on Twitter as you can imagine my Twitter has been slightly clogged again this I, I week. can't imagine yeah no it's, it's so uh, was... obviously we do some good stuff shit good ratings are coming up later but we ask for good stuff on Twitter I'm just going to take I'm just going to put it out there now I had lots of people telling me James Haskell was good yes I mm. know I've admitted it I'm coming to terms with it I'm going through slowly. A, I'm going through slowly but surely. It, it's kind of like a twelve-step program. Mm. You know, first of all, it's it's admitting that you know your life and James Haskell has become unmanageable. That's the first yeah. step you have to accept. <laughs> Anger. Yeah. The then second we'll the second step is you, you have to admit there's a higher power to can restore you to sanity. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm still toying with that one. Um, so while we're there, then let's talk about England versus Australia, shall we? Less. Um, I mean, it, it went rather whole, well. I thought. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, the sort of the prevailing theme I think for this weekend was like that perhaps us as a pod and us as I think rugby people in in the northern hemisphere in general, we've perhaps given the southern hemisphere team a bit too much credit on the back of the World Cup and sort of kind of we've put mm. them on this plinth of being like these superhuman rugby demigods who are just incapable of going through transitional periods or having a bad day at the office and. Like, I think this weekend did demonstrate that, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's not actually the case. They had a really good World Cup. They were much, much better than us then, but it's not yeah, like it's they're question... playing a different sport. Yeah, and it's that question about that they're at this level. Mm. And it's, it's the point, I think, what this weekend maybe showed, that that's not an unattainable level. What had happened is that they've stayed at that level and we've simply dropped down away from it. Yeah. If it was two lines on a graph... That... We kind yeah. of went down a <laughs> and bit, I curved them, and, yeah. that, and, and hopefully now we've come back up to near it. However, mm. um, I, th- I think their curve has probably dipped a little bit as well. To be fair, but um, that's true. That's true. I think, 
I think I think we might have all quite underestimated what a huge effect like all of the post World Cup desertions um, and changes in management and stuff would have on the big three teams as well because like all blacks aside I think it's clear that there hasn't really been a lot of thought put into like a succession plan for some of those big senior players who like decamp to Europe because like certainly in the case of Australia and South Africa they are greatly diminished without them and mm. you know they they just didn't really like. I don't want to take anything away from what happened on the weekend because I think, you know, even with Wales losing, I think on the whole, it was a cracking weekend for Northern Hemisphere rugby. And after the World Cup, I think we can safely say that some pride has been definitely restored. But like, absolutely. That's, let's not kid ourselves though. Like, as good as Ireland and England and, and to a lesser extent Wales were, the Springboks were awful. Mm. The Aussies were a little bit unlucky, and the All Blacks were uh, way short mm, of their best and mm. still won. I agree with that. South Africa were awful. I agree yeah. that New Zealand still won in a way that we probably expected that they would. Mm. In fact, of all the things we got wrong, we are probably, as far as New Zealand and Wales goes, I think we're basically soothsayers now and we can sell yeah, that was... tarot card readings to people. I don't know much, but I can predict Wales having a horrible, heartbreaking loss <laughs> with incredible accuracy. That was that was the Aaron Neville song in the 90s, wasn't it? I don't know much, but I know <laughs> everything you just said. Uh, I don't think Australia were unlucky. I think Australia came out of the blocks very, very quickly. And I tweeted uh, at one point, this looks like it's going to be very, very, very shit. And Mm. then um, what England did is they regrouped, they got together, the forwards in particular, and I think they basically sort of stamped their game plan all over the Wallabies' dignity, really. They enforced their game plan on Australia. I don't think it was unlucky at all. I think it was unlucky in the fact that that disallowed try was incredibly generous. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah, know, yeah, they score that try, and I still I think it's a very different game. I'm not so sure. But I'm not so sure. I think well, I think England would still have come back, but I think by that point, I don't think how... England would. I think England would have scored the way they were playing. I think they'd have come back to play that. Jones would have made that change at Burrell and Farrell, and I think England would have scored that many points. So the question mark is: with that score, would Australia then kicked on to score more points? I think that was. Well, even if they hadn't, though, when you look at it, you know, England, that scoreline slightly flattered England with that late try from Noel, which, you know, came on the back of Australia throwing the kitchen sink at them. And whether or not, you know, that becomes an infinitely, you know, it's it's less than a, a seven point game then. So mm. I don't know. I mean, I think they can feel slightly hard done by. I think if they want to win rugby games, they should probably not stop playing after 20 minutes and completely go into themselves and let England stamp all over them you know they have to have something that's plan B when it wasn't working this is the discussion isn't it did they go into themselves or could they not really do anything their breakdown yeah. had been knackered they kept getting penalised by Northern Hemisphere ref which I know that a lot of their fans don't like and continue mm. to moan about it now but that is if you can't figure out the fact that he's he's going to be quite consistent with you which he was yeah, was, you know, he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't balmy he just, yeah, it was Pocock's and, and Hooper's job to adapt to that, wasn't it? Yeah. And certainly Pocock just couldn't seem to get on the right side of Garces at all. And and you know, I think it was Eddie Butler who said in his Guardian column this week that like it was a weekend from for the Northern Hemisphere teams to rediscover some of those traditional identities that they had. Mm-hmm. You know, Ireland rediscovered that sort of heroic tenacity. Wales discovered some attacking freedom in a bit of Jardivivan. And England, they just continued that sort of road that they're on to rediscovering that really nasty, really physical streak that made them such a successful team at the turn of the millennium. And I think this was probably the best example so far that we've seen. You know, mm. like you said, after they made that change, 
they just basically smashed Seven Shades of Shit out of Australia. There was not really, there was no, there was nothing particularly artistic about anything that they did with their attacking play. They scored two hmm. very good tries, but like well, it was very functional, decent rugby. Wasn't yeah, it? but when you got a forward platform like that and you keep getting penalties given to you, functional rugby's enough. Saracens have shown that. Exactly, and and you know me and you and hundreds of other pundits and journalists can talk about how England might need more balance and more creativity and more skill in that back row but sometimes you can just get past that with good old fashioned grit and tenacity and I'm not, I don't think it will work for them every week but I think the tenacity I, the reason why the Australians couldn't get where they got last October, September in the breakdown was that it was the speed at which England were getting to it the rocks mm. were being created because every time Pogba tried to do that, because he got himself in that body position in the handover a couple of times, and the ref just yes. went boop, penalty because the yeah. rock was already formed. What was happening last year was that he was in first, he was hands on the ball the first. Because the rock speed you know? was so and, slow, yeah, yeah, and that couldn't happen. And I think that is something to do with Gustard and the work that's being done. It's, a, it's an Eddie Jones hall. It was the same yeah. with Japan. Yeah, you know, they got to the rock so quickly, and and I think yeah, it's it's a very good way to to perhaps neutralise that Australian thing that they do so well with getting over the ball but like I think I said on Twitter before the game actually like when you looked at that team that Australian team you just thought fucking hell they're who are they yes <laughs> for quite a lot of, you know like six debutants or whatever it was like and that massive back got, line yeah and it was the most pedestrian back line I think that I've seen Australia where's Matt to on the field. is he injured um, or is I don't he know. I guess, I don't, I, I'm sorry, I should I'm know this, he, but I don't know. I'm guessing he must be. I mean, Liliofano's been off having his kid or whatever, and he's he's back from paternity leave for the next test. And you imagine he's got to go into the twelve yeah. shirt. But I mean, you look at the players that like. I think I I kind of forgot. Like I look at that back line, and I thought, with the exception of Israel Folau, who's obviously he was excellent, you know, exceptional, and yeah. was exceptional. Yeah, he nearly won the game on his own. Um, <laughs> Like I look at that back line, I thought, would any of you start for England? And I honestly looked at them and thought, I don't think they would over the players that they have there. No, because, like, and I think I maybe like I maybe and certainly I don't know about anybody else, but I kind of forgot that they wouldn't have Matt Gitto and Drew Mitchell and yeah and Adam Ashley Cooper and God, like how much it showed, did they miss? Didn't it? it did show. Yeah, that experience, that composure. I mean, the defensive solidity, as much as anything else, of, of players like Mitchell and Ashley Cooper. You know, they set. They used to set the tone, and like, it's easy to forget how much. Like the first thing that Michael Checker did when he took over the Wallabies was basically to change the rules so that he could pick those mm. players again, and because without them, they were fucking shambles. I mean, obviously, that was under Robbie Deans and there were a whole other mess of problems and Czech is a much better coach than that, so they've not become yeah. a bad team. But they've definitely... They've regressed, I think, because, like... Yeah, England were far from perfect, but they... They couldn't they handle much, it when the pressure came on, I think. At the end of the day, England, yeah. England just bent them... England yeah, just bent them like to their will, them. basically. Yeah. From about 20 minutes onwards, they just changed the back line and then they said, right, forwards, go and do what you do. And, you know, the technical discipline of England in the Six Nations was shit. It was absolutely yeah. appalling. And we had terrible penalties being given away. And I mean, to come back to Haskell, he gave away quite a number. Um, mm. And actually, you can say, well, the ref was on England's side a bit this week, maybe. I don't know. But actually, no, the, the way they were playing. What was m most heartening, and why I think this is different for me as an England fan, is that actually that was a problem six months ago, four months ago, 
Mm. And then now it doesn't seem to. I know it's only one game, but now it doesn't seem to be anymore. So actually, yeah. he's looked at it, identified it, got together with his coaches and said, "What are we going to do about this?" And mm. he found a solution to it, like with Japan, where he said, "What are we going to do about this massive South African scrum? We'll just get the ball in yeah. about channel one quick." And yeah. It sounds simple, but it's amazing it's how many incre- people don't do it. You know? Yeah, he's a coach that doesn't seem to have much. He's not. When you look at other international coaches, they're so tied to their own. Yeah, he's not burdened systems. by ideology, um, is he? Yes, he's got no ideology at all. He just goes, "Well, this is a problem. What is the quickest way that we can extricate ourselves so that this is no longer a problem for us anymore?" Right. And that's an and that pragmatism is incredibly useful. Like, it's just you look at what he's done. Like, I mean, yeah. England weren't amazingly brilliant in the back line. You know, their defence out wide in the first half hour was ropey as shit. I mean, and but but he solved they that. By, heart... But he solved it by chopping personnel. Exactly, he? he solved that. Yeah. He solved that, and then the players showed a heart and a resilience and a fitness. Let's not beat around the bush. That I don't think six months ago they would have had, and they probably have sort of wilted either mentally or physically when they went behind like that. Um, I mean, they did. You know, they went a couple of scores down to Australia in the World Cup and they pretty much threw the yeah, towel. Yeah, that's what was the biggest difference this time. Yeah, and I mean, how many tests have England won in Australia? It's a massive achievement for Jones to it's have the turned this score. into... Yeah, and, and to turn the, from a bunch of sort of mentally shot ne'er-do-wells to a team that can win big games with a mix of power, mental strength. And what's most most like impressive for me is like how clinical they are in attack. Mm. It's quite remarkable. Like the decision to bring Ford on was genius, um, as and it, it just, if not genius, you know, it was yeah. a, a, a it was quick. A very, yeah. It was a great decision because he recognised the problem. He didn't wait until half time for things to get out of hand. He just made the change and yeah, and know, a lot of people. Then Ford was on the pitch for a yards try as well. You know, it was the it was everything. It was a lot of a lot of people are saying that Haskell to go back to that is, is kind of typifying what Jones can do really because mm. he was never convincing James you know putting my daftness aside for a minute I don't think he was mm. ever very convincing as an international no. player I don't think anybody even objectively can say that he wasn't he'd had a lot of caps without looking particularly great and he's identi- yeah. and, and we've laughed for a long time about the fact that he's obviously mm. quite a sensitive soul and what I think what, what Eddie Jones has done is he's identified that quite quickly and basically said to him you mate are fucking brilliant yeah. You're absolutely brilliant and I love you. And tells him that about 27 times a day and then this is what happens. This that's is what you the, get. That's the, but that's kind of the... That's kind of the thing though, isn't it? Because like, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative here, but like, you wonder if he's walking a tightrope a little bit. Because like, so much of what he's doing at the moment is like predicated on emotion and confidence and you know that dreaded fucking momentum word, <laughs> if you will. Like... I mean, like you say with James Haskell, every day, like, apparently James doesn't remind him that he's good. He basically sort of reminds him that he's one game away from being <laughs> dropped. And that apparently is is yes. very motivating to Haskell because he's that kind of guy, as we all can see. He's somebody that sort of has a I'll show you mentality. But that kind of sort of confrontational, motivational approach only works well when it's fresh and when things are going well, I guess. Yeah. And, like, you look at sort of... Jones's record of sort of how he's been an international manager and and a, and a club manager as well, you know, in various places. Quite often, it starts very well, and it's maintaining that momentum when those sort of 
psychological tricks start to wear off I guess is the case I mean like if you're predicating everything on instilling confidence and belief like what happens when it does go tits up because eventually it will mm. they're not going to win every game from now until 2019 or whenever it is he's got his contract up to like what happens if the Aussies blow them away next week or if they struggle in the autumn like that was going to be the next question actually yeah I mean saying about looking forward yeah. then I mean does what will happen in Melbourne do you think well, I on, I look at that Aussie team and I just think, especially if they're going to lose Pocock as well, like as, yes, as which they have done, yeah, yeah, they have, yeah. There's the official now, is it? Well, yeah. Where, where do they go with that? You know, it's it's. I mean, you can argue that they did beat England without Pocock. Yeah, and, the uh, and they and scored a number of tries, and Fallout yeah. looks in rare form, and maybe if they push him to thirteen and. Although he came into, I think I don't think they'd want to not have him time in his runs into the line. The no, way I, th- I think I think Checker is very invested in him as a fifteen more than him as a as a thirteen. I think, and and I, I don't on evidence of Saturday, I can't say I, I can blame him. No, to be quite honest no. with you, <laughs> I mean, God, he was amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I think it could go one of two ways. I think at the end of the day, the game was a lot closer on in reality than it kind of looked on paper at the end of it, and I think. I mean, yeah. the first half was with Australia, and the second half was England. And yeah, I, I think it, it might be it might come down to the refing. Mm. You know, it's because it's something that's kind of applied to all three tests this weekend. Is that like they were all handled by Northern Hemisphere officials, and like I know that Southern Hemisphere teams will bang on about this shit when it doesn't go well for them, but like. We have been play- like the Southern Hemisphere teams have been playing with different rules for the last three months yeah. to what, and obviously now everybody's playing under the same rules again. But how much the Northern Hemisphere refs themselves are like completely ingrained with all of that new interpretations and stuff, I I genuinely don't know. Like, and and yeah, so so you look at like the way that the Pocock and Hooper were both struggling with Garces's like fussiness at the contact area like that's a big part of why they shipped eight penalties in the first half and like quite a few of them were obviously kickable because it was Poit, super rugby it? uh Poit, sorry yeah um and checking uh, I was right I thought I was going mad then yeah <laughs> no no um and it wasn't just in Australia though you know the Bok players were getting flagged constantly for going in off their feet on the attack um uh, against Ireland and the all black back row came off distinctly second best against Wales too and like I can't really remember the last time that all three Southern Hemisphere teams came off second best against Northern Hemisphere teams at the contact area. Yeah, but that was one of the biggest things that made a change for me, because I said in my preview mm. that Australia would win, and I said they would win because I didn't think, I still still believe that England's penalty count would be a problem. Yeah. And that Foley would kick goals, and that Australia always score tries, which he still did, even in a losing game, a losing result on Saturday. Yeah. The biggest difference seems to have been the forward effort and the cut that and the discipline problem. Now you could yeah. say that could be resolved with a more sympathetic referee for the gold shirt. So I suppose it's hard to predict what might happen. Mm. I don't believe in momentum in rugby games, as you well know. I think it all, it all starts again next week. You know, but exactly. And, uh, but I, 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 I don't believe in momentum, but I do believe in in confidence building a sort of culture. And and I think that's the thing that Jones has to do is just to make sure that he has instilled a culture that can weather yeah. this stuff because I mean well, after the Six Nations we sort of discussed how would they cope with getting behind 
because they hadn't really yeah, been. Yeah, that's true. And, to, and Saturday, I think they comprehensively showed that they have the tenacity and the confidence about them at the moment to go, no, fuck it, we can we can claw anything back. And that's a very big step. Yeah, because I, I feared the worst, yeah. The thing about the ref thing is, as well, is that I don't care what you say. If I, You could show a video clip of a breakdown penalty to... Th- 30 different rugby fans <laughs> exactly and you would no, get 15 really... different responses of what was yeah. right and, and they'd all argue till they like were blue in the face that their interpretation of it was correct if you look at Green and Gold Rugby's Facebook page this week they've mm. shown a, they've got a gif of James Haskell when he uh, nicked the ball and he, he tackled I can't remember who it was he tackled one of their players and he got straight mm. to his feet grabbed the ball and passed it now it yeah. happened so quickly it looked like it wasn't a rut there was no offside line but actually uh, an Australian player had cleared Hartley out well beyond the tackle and yeah. actually technically I suppose you could say that's a rook because two people come yeah. into contact over the ball and even though they've been mm. smashed away it's a rook but actually it literally happened like that mm. so if you're Roman Pot, he, he literally if you're Roman Pot in a blink he might have blinked then looked then saw that they weren't over the ball and the ball's gone yeah. So technically, it you... might be right, but is it a decision you can reasonably expect somebody to get right all the time? No, it isn't. No, and that's the thing that pisses me off is that you know, and we're all we're all guilty of it. Of course, times, we are. But like, yeah. you know, the All Blacks have been moaning about what like a forward pass in Wales is his first try at the weekend, and it's just like for God's sake, like, <laughs> do you referee a game of rugby then if you're that brilliant at it? Yeah. Because. I sure as hell don't notice a lot of things until Sky or the BBC or whoever does a fucking super slow yeah, motion frame I, by frame replay, and then I go, "Oh yeah, okay, that was." I, a I have the embarrassing situation of watching lots of games with my thirteen-year-old son, who will then mm. say to me, "What was that penalty for?" And I go, "Um, <laughs> um probably." Uh, I think it was that, but actually, oh, no, oh yeah, it was that. You know, and that's yeah, that's yeah, the nature. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. it's both the most infuriating and most wonderful thing about the game because it is incredibly mm. human. In that because sense. it's always fun. It's always fun going to watch like a game of rugby where there isn't a big screen these days live yeah. because. <laughs> Inevitably, <laughs> it'll be a penalty, and then you'll hear at least thirty people within earshot going, "What was that for?" And yeah. the person next to him going, "Don't know." And <laughs> exactly. it's like, I'm well, there, yeah, because, yeah, every time, 30, ref. every bloody yeah. time. If you're forty yards away, of course you haven't got a clue what it was, and the ref might be twenty yards away. So, yes. oh, it's... and even I've I've ref like friendly matches and tour matches mm. for a laugh and stuff like that, and it is. I know it comes with experience, and I'm not an international ref or anything like it, but it's yeah. it's hard work. <laughs> it's hard exactly. Work. It's, it's one of the hardest jobs I can possibly imagine in sport is refereeing rugby, and I wouldn't do it. Good yeah. luck to anybody who does, and massive respect to you, but I just think, yeah. So stop whining, if, Australia. That's basically what we're saying. Well, yeah, I'm saying, every, anyway. Everybody, really. But, um, <laughs> Including us. Go, I'm sure some Exactly, include, we're some just point. as bad as everyone else. But, yeah, going back to the whole confidence thing, I think, like, the thing that did for Lancaster ultimately, ultimately was that, you know, let's not forget, England looked like world beaters under him, and then they lost to Wales when they were chasing the Grand Slam, and mentally... As a team, they never recovered from that, I don't think. And they had that mental fragility mm. from then on, basically. And they never looked like a team that believed in themselves. And that's, you know, chances are they will have a result like that where something doesn't go their way in the next year or so. Because that's just rugby. Shit happens. And it's whether or not 
they can come back from like Jones can instill that culture I think and he seems to be doing a good job of it don't get me wrong it's whether he can actually get that culture instilled in a way that they can shrug off losing you know in a bad way and come back and win the next week and not look like they're they're carrying any baggage of it because that was the big issue with the Lancaster year I think was that they always felt like they were carrying the baggage of their defeats long after they should yeah, have got rid of it. To go back to the World Cup point, we've made this kind of similar points you made about Southern Hemisphere. Like the Southern Hemisphere were never as good as they were showing perhaps in the World Cup. When mm. England weren't as bad as they were in that World Cup. That was, yeah. that was the outlying performance. The last four years have been pretty okay. Yeah, like 2011 exactly. to 2015 have been pretty okay. The World Cup was a bit of a nightmare. That was the kind of mm. aberration, not, the, not, not everything else. So the worry was always with Jones as an England fan, and the reason why you kind of temper your hope is that actually all he did was return them to kind of how they were playing. And is there anything else that he's showing you that gives you more hope? And from my point of view, that performance on Saturday is does show me something else. But, mm, as, you say, but as you say, we should wait and see. So that was England versus Australia. Yeah. Um, it was simply a wonderful thing as an England fan just to sit back and, and, and actually relax for a week. You know, there was a point at the second half in that game and I kind of went, whisper it, but this is a bit of a hiding for the Aussies, mm. this. And actually, I, and I, then they came back and scored a try and people were saying I was counting me chickens and all that. Well, you know, whatever. But the point is I did feel mm. relaxed. I thought we're going to win no, this. When I was watching it, like from midpoint of the second half, it was just like, well, England has got this in the bag, really. Um yeah. And and yeah, again even when when Australia scored I just didn't think they'd lose it. And yeah. in the end, yeah, maybe it had so a bit of go. gloss on it, but we, yeah, we go to the AAAM whatever, the Army AMMI stadium. Eden Park. The AAAMI <laughs> Bowl. At, um where is it? Melbourne on Saturday and we'll see. New Zealand versus Wales oh, then, yes, Josh. As I said, we've mm. basically become soothsayers now. We have. Because we said, you know, Wales should have a new game plan. Jamie Roberts should start mm-hmm. passing the ball. We want to see mm-hmm. Faletau. Uh, we want to see Toby Faletau. Out in the, eight, in on, the wings, yeah. On the wing. Claxons everywhere. <laughs> so, Claxons every, And I can't, so much, so I can't turn it off. Ah! Go away. Thank you. Toby Faletau on the wing. Uh, what else did we see? Um, I think we said we just wanted them to restore a little bit of pride. That uh, happened. Yeah. Play with a bit of abandon, take risks. I mean, but well, was be... the result ever in doubt? Really, that's the oh thing, god, isn't it? definitely, definitely not. I mean, I mean, yes, the result was in doubt for like, well, yeah, sort of fifteen <laughs> minutes. <laughs> but like after that. It was it was pretty obvious. New Zealand wasn't it? were fairly profligate throughout the game, really. When you look back at it, yeah, they were they were out of sorts. They threw the ball definitely... around. They dropped knocks on a few times, promising positions. They mm. uh, they got that try disallowed when they went back for a forward pass on the TMO, and it was the most non-forward pass you've ever seen. And they still disallowed yeah. the try. That was a strange. Yeah, thing. that was weird. But like, yeah, I might be sad that we lost this game, but I'm I'm genuinely not particularly downhearted about it because, like. As I've been when Wales have lost games in the past like this, despite my prediction about it all going wrong in the last 15 minutes being comically spot on, like <laughs> like people have said that it was the same old story, that Wales were mentally fragile and they lacked belief or composure or whatever, but I don't think that's the case no, here at all. No, that's the case at all. No, they were just I just think, yeah, they ran out of steam. They didn't make any... They didn't go to pieces. They didn't make any huge errors. It just... 
if they just felt like they were knackered after a ridiculously long season and they just got beat by a team that had a much much better yeah. bench than they had and, and they were able to you, use you can't keep up with a team that plays with the pace and the expansiveness of New Zealand in the last 15 minutes like that you just can't yeah. no team could no and and it's a little bit depressing like as a Wales fan like heartbreaking late loss because of fitness fatigue as opposed to mental collapse is still a heartbreaking late loss but I'm encouraged by everything that happened before they hit that wall in the last 15 because, like, maybe I'm being a bit of a homer here and fair enough, I am biased. But, like, I think in terms of the quality of rugby that they played, um, Wales were head and shoulders above pretty much anyone else this weekend except for the All Blacks, I thought. Like, in terms of the actual I'd agree with that. I think, well, attacking dep- rugby. Depending on what you use as your quality, quality measure. But if you're going to use that att- attacking rugby, yeah. Attacking rugby, yeah. I mean, it was the most exciting, most creative, most pro- progressive rugby that Wales have played, I think, since probably and 2013. Let's, and let's not forget, on a very basic level, it was a fucking brilliant test match to watch. Oh, it was it's fan- phenomenal Well worth game. getting out of bed for. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the problem, the, the important thing is, though, like, I don't care if we win this series, if we lose this series 3-0, to be honest with you. If we keep playing like that's this... That's handy, because that's going to happen. That's <laughs> going to happen, absolutely. But, like, the important thing is to keep playing like the way that they played on Saturday... And when they're not playing the All Blacks as well as when they are. I, I said at some point during the game, I tweeted, I said, if Wales had played like this during the Six Nations, they'd have cleaned up. Yeah, they'd have won a Grand Slam. Yeah, they'd probably. have cleaned up. Yeah, and, fairly convincingly, and, I think. Like, Warren Gatland is doing exactly what we said that he needed to do, which is move on from this stagnated style that he's persisted with for the last four or five years. But, like, the key Jamie difference... Roberts made me laugh when he said, um, I don't know what Warren Ball is. Yes, like, well, that did make. He's just so full of shit, isn't he? Though, because obviously yeah, then he's, then he's passing the ball all over the place. He knows. All right, probably it's never called that in training, but obviously, no. if you look at the way he played Saturday compared to the way he's been playing for the past fuck knows how many years, of course he knows what Warren Ball. Is. Of course he does. He, he reads the press. It's, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, the key difference though between like Wales of the last five years and Wales on Saturday morning was, for once, they were up against quality opposition, and they had the balls to make some decisions for a change like where for the last god knows how many years Wales have been a team that just looked terrified of taking a risk or chancing their arm like all of a sudden they were just taking them left and right and it was so exciting to see they were attacking from deep they were making risky offloads forwards were passing the ball instead of plowing into contact even Jamie Roberts was varying his lines and passing the ball as we said it was I mean that first half performance was probably as good as anything I've seen from Wales since since thirty three. So Yes. Yeah. Like like you said though, it's almost like they listened to the pod last week. Oh yeah. Like right down to how well, they, they were using Fal- well, why wouldn't they? Everybody does, well, don't they? It's it's too conspicuous that all of a sudden Falatau starts appearing in the loose and scoring tries and being generally brilliant. And like yeah, I just can't get angry about it because even though they were clearly rusty and they're in transition, the All Blacks are still the best team in the world. Um the yeah. stuff that they were playing in the last 15 minutes was an absolute it's different the that, gravy. Yeah, it's the way... Fal- and that, that the kicking game from Wales was still a problem. But that's the only, yeah. If you're going to be picky, the kicking mm. out of hand game against a team like New Zealand was a very was, was poor. Don't kick to Ben Smith, basically. Yeah. Just don't do it. But I mean, there's don't the fact that when they kicked to Ben Smith and he skipped that one tackle, and they, they then had mm. an automatic... They had a five-on-one within 10 metres. Yeah, it's like, how does that happen? <laughs> that's that's that happen? what the All Blacks do to you, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like... And, but yeah. in spite of all that, like, I think that if Wales had been able to call upon, like, like that squad, it might have looked like a tidy first fifteen on paper. But as soon as you start scratching at the depth of it, 
Yes. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly thin. I mean... Well, North's injured now, there... and Eli Walker's coming in, isn't he? Yeah, and they've had to call up Keelan Giles. Yeah, they've had to the call up somebody called Keelan. He hasn't even got a proper yeah. name. That's how bad it is. <laughs> That's how young he is. But, you know, <laughs> he's not made a single league start for the Ospreys, and he's been called up to a tour to New Zealand. Like, he's a really promising, really exciting player, but that shows the resources he's Wales is back a tower he could be I mean he's he's a very exciting player but like you think that we if we could have had Lee Halfpenny Dan Lydia Justin Tipperick Luke Charteris Paul James even Alex Cuthbert like steady all of a sudden I think you've got you've taken that too far there at least he would have been quick enough to keep up with (laughs) Fekitoa for a little bit but I mean yeah. That's the that you can't like the squad that like the player pool that we have and the squad depth that we have can't absorb losing all those players without a huge drop off in quality off the bench, and that is kind of what we had. Yeah, um, it was and and it really I, did. For all their talk of their of their fancy player news in which there was plenty of which we've just talked about, I did love that one of their tries was basically like the every try you've ever seen at lower levels of rugby they just give it to the massive bloke who ran directly yeah. at the line and scored <laughs> they just literally just tapped give it to him and he ran straight as fast as yeah. he could didn't he and it's, it's stop this and yeah. as he went into contact he'd, his head was about two feet from the floor and he bent over yeah and it just there was just sort of like a, a, a momentary bit of lift from Dan Bigger where he, his feet <laughs> didn't appear to be on the ground anymore uh, yeah I mean it's We've got such incredibly limited resources, and after such a long season, like, yeah. and a long few years for loads of these players as well. You know, don't forget they've most of them went on a bloody Lions tour, and they've not really stopped playing rugby since 2011. No wonder they're fading. Yeah. Like, and George North couldn't remember his own name till about a month ago. You know, well, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I mean, the pundits and everyone with common sense, including myself, have written us off um, for the rest of the tour. And the prevailing sentiment is that we're going to get prison shamed for the next two tests because New Zealand are going to get a lot better. And that might well be the case. But like, even if it is, if we keep scoring tries and playing the attacking rugby that we played in that first test until we basically are so tired that we fall over, then the tour, I think, is probably a step in the right direction. I agree. However, what do you think out there, people? Will you be happy hmm. with this change of plan at Blood and Mud or at Josh Garner? Let us know. Yeah. So, and, uh, go on. Yeah. you want to make another point? Uh, I just th- the only other thing I would think is the other thing people are talking about how Wales have been fading um, a lot in games since the World Cup, and I just think maybe there's something in that that their fitness coach left for the NFL a couple of weeks before the World Cup. Oh, did he? And their current and their current fitness coach uh, works for Toulon, and that's where he is at the moment. So ah. I wonder if that might have. I you thought know, that that mate Sean Edwards was the fitness coach at Wales. That Paul, Paul, Stridgen, Paul Stridgen. Yeah, he's he's Toulon's fitness coach and as he's well. with them. Oh right, yes. yeah, Bobby so Stridgen. Yes, yeah. so he's with them. Um, and I like, see. I thought he kind of gone to the NFL. They won't bloody understand him. He's from Wigan. <laughs> but that's the thing. They looked shagged, and I wonder if it might be a combination of like they obviously conditioning science and conditioning and fitness is such a like science these days. I mm. wonder if they've. They conditioned them to peak at the World Cup and sacrificed the later season conditioning because they've looked fucking knackered for the whole six and eight, and that's so unlike Wales. But um, also, New Zealand, you've got to give massive credit to Steve Hansen for the way that they're managing this transition between old and new. Like, mm. to lose, like, McCaw, Carter, 
Nonu, all those. And yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? To still be that good. Like, you look at Australia and South Africa and how they're struggling without planning for it. And they've just... They've been so smart with it about bringing these replacements into squads, giving them a game here or there, educating them in the culture and the expectations. And, like, they just... It yeah. showed on Saturday. And some of their players did play, but Luke Romano with the second row was bad. Mm. He had a bad game. You mm. know, they still managed to look very, very good. Every, Aaron like Smith is incredible. Will of the rest of them. Aaron Smith yeah. is absolutely well, he, he incredible. He was the absolutely... The, he the engine room, the magician, everything. Just everything yeah, goes through. Yeah, he's it's the incredible. best nine in the world. Like, it was a, a very good day to watch number nines in True. Eden Park with Reese Webb, let's face yeah. it. But... Smith is, is, is fantastic. He's on another level. You mentioned South Africa there, so let's talk about Ireland, mm. South Africa. Ugh. Somebody pointed out that every one of their teams lost this weekend. The sevens really? lost. Oh, of course, the yeah, team lost. lost. And obviously the senior team and lost. And the under-20s, yeah, under-20s lost as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Shall, oh, shall we talk about That's... the red card? Uh, let's yes. do, let's I mean, get firstly, that out of the way first, okay? Yeah. I mean, I think it was late. It was reckless. It was to the head, and none of those things are good. Yes. Um, I also think that he did a little bit more than just jump to try and charge down the kick because you can sort of see him adjusting his hips in the air to sort Andy of. Andy Goode said that on nudge. Twitter. The mighty yeah. god that is Andy Goode said, no, he mm. definitely moved his momentum towards his head while he was in the air. He definitely kind of, you know. Yeah. It, it looked to me at first glance like a bit of a shithouse manoeuvre on Standard's part yes. however I'm still not entirely sure it's a red like mm, I think w- you often come up against situations like the Marla thing I'm not going to go into that again but you go into but no. where pick up your phone while driving and you might need to be picked up from work break the speed limit and you could be breaking plans with your mates leave L or N plates off your car and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Oh no, is it everywhere? No, sure, stay and sort that out. We can have dinner another time. Amazing. Whether it's cancelled plans... Ah, Get in the kitchen and calm down. Or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. But with this, I'll take this as a specific example. A lot of fans and a lot of play, people played the game as well. Yeah. And particularly, people tend to get mixed up between what they don't want to be a red card and what Absolutely. actually is one. Yeah. And I think this yeah. is this is this is a classic one of those that yes, there are debates that can be had, but actually, somebody said to me, "Well, it was never read," and I said to them, "Well, what what is it about the way this has been refereed for the past twelve months that makes you think that that's not going to be a red?" Mm. Now you can go along the well, it should be or it should be. It, it as soon as you jump off the floor and you bang somebody around the edge, you're probably going to get sent off. Yeah, and that's the top and bottom of it. Now the upshot of it is, is well, it'll mean less people charge kicks down, possibly, and maybe that's what they want because well, it, it means it'll less. It'll mean less people charge kicks down jumping up in the first, air, 
Because lots of well, kicks are charged down by diving almost horizontally, aren't they, with your arms out to try Yeah, and... that's how you charge a yeah, kickdown. You don't... you don't charge a kickdown by flinging yourself arse first in and someone think, else's and face. what the regulations, or what the way it's been ref, the directives are saying is, is that if you're not, if you can't be sure when you leave the ground you might not cause serious injury to somebody, then don't leave the ground. That seems yeah. to be what it's trying to say. It's probably not what it actually says, but what it's like, you know, like a personalised number plate, no matter what it actually says, as, as written on it, it actually says, I'm a massive twat. Absolutely. Well, I think yeah, that whatever 100%. the directive actually says is actually written on the directive. That is actually what they're trying to say. And funnily, some yeah. did raise the points, but well, what which which law is it that is actually being enforced here? And it's all around law term ten point four. And I tried to have a look. Ah, one of my favourites. Dangerous play and misconduct. <laughs> Uh, and it covers uh, punching or striking. It's not that stamping or trampling. No kicking. No nope. tripping. No dangerous tackling. Perhaps mm, maybe. playing an opponent without the ball, uh, but that's more about that's... obstruction and things like that. Now, ten point four G is dangerous charging. A player right. must not charge or knock down an opponent carrying the ball without trying to grasp the player. That doesn't really sound like what was happening there. No, that's no one's tackle, isn't it? The player it? must not Basically. charge into a rook or maul. So it's not that Lately. tackling the jumper in Lately. the air. Now, weirdly, this wasn't the jumping. The, the, the tackler was in the air, not the jumper. <laughs> So it's hard to know where this, this where, where one, this falls yeah. in between. The player must not tackle or tap, push or pull the foot or feet of an opponent jumping in the air. Well, that's not that. Lifting a player from the ground and dropping him, it's not that. Uh, and then I think there's stuff. Late charging in the kicker. Here we are, which is 10.4. Ah. Oh, uh-huh. not zero. Oh, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite. Oh. A player must not intentionally <laughs> charge or obstruct an opponent who has just kicked the ball. Penalty kick. That's it. That's all it says. Doesn't, doesn't say anything about. No. I mean, maybe they're to just taking it under a. That's weird, actually. There's, well, there's no mean... specific law about it. Because no, all, mean, the, all, it... The, all the directors are designed about tackling a person in the air with a the ball. They're not about mm. you jumping head first. Is it what ungentlemanly <laughs> conduct or non-sporting play or just general poor play? Maybe you know. If there's a law. Maybe it's just dangerous. It's, it's being handled under an umbrella of just general dangerous, dangerous play. Twatting people around the head. Somebody yeah. said that was it was it's, it It's duty of care, isn't was it? Was it ref you know, on the outcome? If it had landed on his hip or well, his chest, would it have been a red card? That is kind of what that's kind of what I thought. It was like if he had got straight up and been fine, I do think that that might have been given as a yellow. But the fact that he was obviously quite badly injured I think that always makes a ref look at things a bit more critically, even yeah. if they don't intend to, you know. And I get it wasn't; it still wasn't. Uh, it's one of those ones that everybody has a different opinion on this. But if mm. everybody, if some people are saying, "Well, yeah, it probably was a red," and some people are saying, "Well, it wasn't," then it, it can't be that bad a decision, can it? Unless no. everyone you know, unanimously comes out and says everybody agrees that yeah. was bad. <laughs> it's not like the thing with. Um... Oh, Osprey's Connor, the Sam Davis um, thing where he was, they claimed it was a completed tackle when there was an ankle yes. tap. And literally anyone with a pair of eyes yeah. went, well, that's absolutely ridiculous, including World Rugby. Yes. Um, in this case, yeah, some people think it is, some people think it isn't. Them is the breaks in rugby. You know, it's a very, very hard game, as we've said today. You know, it's an incredibly hard game to referee. Yeah. And, yeah. But all credit but, to Ireland. What can you say? I mean,. Probably one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen from any team at any time, anywhere. To be honest, uh, like nobody gave them a prayer. England, New Zealand, before in the game. 
Yeah, fair enough. No, because that was th- away from home, thirteen men. It's the reason why I. Yes, it out yeah, there, no, you, was... you, you're you're completely right. Yeah, but that's the only thing I can compare like, it with. But it's very. We few didn't. Gi- we didn't give. We didn't give him a prayer in the preview with fifteen men. No, very few other people did. That's because Paddy Jackson's and... half a man. Yeah, exactly, and and we comprehend. And like, As they he looks everyone like half look a man. Like... I'm not. I'm not. You know. Yeah. No, he looks like a small, small, small child. Um, but they made everybody look like a dick. Let's be honest, me, you, every pundit <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. Um, that defensive effort, that forward effort, just the tenacity, the organisation. Um, Andy Farrell has done some... Like They were a pretty good D to start off with. And he has just well, he lifted them to a superhuman level. Monster went shit when he's he really good. And Ireland got mm. better when he turned up there. So there's obviously something in it, isn't there? You can laugh as much as mm. you want. He obviously had mind control over Stuart Lancaster for a period of time, but he's obviously yes, a bloody good. Yes, so something went wrong he? there. I mean, look at the defensive effort on the Lions tour as well. Mm. You know, he is. I mean, don't get me wrong. South Africa were really bad. Oh yeah, they like, were clueless. Clown yeah. car force, fast, sorry, awful. Like the unforced errors, the game plan, which was just oh, the most the, predictable nonsense the, you could ever the, imagine. The, coach the has, game management. Yeah, the coach has come out. I've never been convinced by Pat Lambie anyway, even before he got his head took off. The uh, the, the, <laughs> the coach has come out and basically, and I don't know what points you're trying to make, he's blamed the opposition for the fact that his team lost. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it happens. works. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's what they're trying to well, do. Well, he's basically came to not play. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, because they had thirteen fucking men for half the game. <laughs> yeah. What do you expect them to do? <laughs> and if oh, yeah, you, and if you define what like... your team was trying to do as playing, then what the fucking hell are you talking about? Well, yeah, it's like I don't care who, like how good a defense you are, like if you're playing with like fourteen men for the better part of sixty odd minutes like you shouldn't be able to keep a team out for that like I don't care what the team on the other side is there should become a point where yeah the resistance eventually breaks this is not you know in football you can defend for 80 minutes because all you've got to do is basically get in the way of the ball and the ball can go anywhere yeah. and it's easier to disrupt possession rugby yeah and you can leave basically just sacrifice two thirds yeah, of the rugby, pitch because of the territory and the way you can consistently and completely or should be able to consistently and completely control possession you should win mm. there are no excuses yeah. whatsoever yeah it's it's the thing it reminded me of um Wales France in World Cup 2011 where I mean obviously France won that game but in a similar way France were abysmal and as a result Wales with a heroic defensive effort damn near won that game and would have if not for a lick of paint on the post and and it was quite similar like South Africa were unforgivably bad and Ireland just I mean for most of the last 28 odd podcast however many it is podcasts we've done now We've been talking about Ireland, and we've talked about how they're this team in transition. They're a team that doesn't seem to have a lead, like any leadership anymore, with O'Connell retiring, and and we've done an awful lot of wondering about when the sort of new leaders of the Irish team are going to put their hands up and make a statement. And I think probably Saturday afternoon was that moment. One of them was like, Jamie Heaslip. That's how you know strange the world well, has yeah. become. But like the, the the resilience and the the commitment that they had was. Like he, friend of the pod, I think we can probably call him that now. Ian Henderson was <laughs> Man, immense. Was on. Yeah. yeah. Um, Devin Toner, who I merrily slated last week, was immense. Um, he played the best game I've ever seen him play. Um, 
Rory Best, Conor Murray, Jamie Heaslip, like everyone in an Irish jersey. And the bench like, when they came off, Dylan was. And the yeah, Dylan was, was great. He come off. I mean, a lot of people saw this tour as like maybe a swan song for Joe Schmidt's regime, and that he would probably, you know, there was talk that he was going to he's going to go to the Highlanders or something like that. But you kind of wonder if this might be a bit of a new dawn now, like. Hats off to like the players that we've slagged off in a few weeks. Devin Toner, I did not think he had that in him, that graft, that physicality. It's the physicality like, for me. I knew he always works, but he just sent it yeah. for a man of his size. He didn't have that dynamic power, or actually. No, that. well, yeah. Whenever I've seen him play, he just sort of rumbles yeah. ineffectively around yeah. the park like a slightly grumpy, gangly horse. <laughs> but like the way that he was just hitting rocks and hitting bodies and using those huge fucking levers of his to disrupt ball and win penalties, he was immense. Like that is the best game he's ever played for Ireland, and probably. For anyone, and also Jared Payne, the fullback. Why is it taking Joe Schmidt two years of him being deployed as a massively ineffective yeah, plenty of Irish thirteen fans. to give him a crack at that? There's plenty of like, Irish fans have been calling for that for some time, actually. Yeah, and he was brilliant. Like with a bit of space to run into, all of a sudden he's pacey. Yeah. He's got good vision. Like his offload for uh, to Trimble that ended up with Murray scoring that try was magnificent. Like he hasn't done any of that in two years at thirteen. And and there's Paddy Jackson, who I'll be honest with the you, the player formerly still, known as Paddy Jackson. In that he just yeah, looks like a new I mean, person. he still doesn't entirely no. convince me, if I'm honest. But when like, the shit Willie came Larue... down, mm. he did what needed to be done, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, if Willie Larue hadn't picked a bad day to have his worst game in a Springbok jersey, like some of those pretty average kicks out of hand that he was doing, might have come back and hurt them a lot more, um, and his intercepts. Uh, Troy was a bit of a howler as well, but yeah, but even so, his goal kicking, his goal kicking was really good. He was defensively fine, and he managed the game well. And like we talked last week about needing to find somebody who could be a non-shit deputy for Sexton, and I think at the very least yeah. he's kind of he's probably going to be that. Paddy, the Bloodandmon.com podcast thinks you're a non-shit deputy. What more praise do you want? We'll get you a badge and everything. <laughs> to go with the Cuthbert Police <laughs> on Cup. Uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, so Ireland, brilliant. Uh, SA can't yeah. be that bad next week. They can't be. Because the team, no. when you look at it, I know it's a bit of a strange time for them, but personnel-wise, when you're bringing Jesse Creel off the bench, you should it's... not be that bad. No, they, they were inexcusably bad. Either If they're not better next week... This could be one of the shorter, shortest coaching regimes in the history of rugby. End of Mr. story. Mr. Wanky Face because... has to take over, whatever he's called, and that one he's called wow, after. Yeah. and that bloke who's named after the vagina. Uh, that's the coach. Oh, is it? It's yeah. good to see a name for a vagina. Uh, I, I, his I believe his nickname. His nickname is something substantially less polite that is South African slang for oh. vagina, but I don't actually remember what it is. Oh, well, Mr. Vagina can do one, and Mr. Wanky mm. Hand, whatever he's called, can come in. It's got to be an upgrade. It's got to um, be. <laughs> it hasn't. It definitely hasn't. Yes. Um, yeah, but amazing. Like I was absolutely thrilled for Ireland, to be honest with you, because we all wrote them off, and they did something pretty fucking remarkable. Yes. So you mentioned the good that was Paddy Jackson there. Um, I did have hmm. him in my shit, and the shit good we're going to do now, and in my good section, ah. I did have uh, Paddy Jackson, who kind of rubbed our faces and how poor our predictions were. For last week. Another one of my good ones this week is uh, the Farrells, collectively. We've already mentioned Andy Farrell's obviously sterling mm. uh, work with Ireland's defence for them to be able to, and, and tenacity to be able to do that. And also Owen Farrell, who was uh, fantastic in the England game. Um, 
once he moved, well, particularly when he moved to 12, but it was once again another quite mm. consummate performance, I thought. Yeah, well, I mean, similarly, in my goods, um, I had the, uh, the Ford Farrell 10 12 axis, and I don't see how Jones can really change this partnership now because no. it just seems to, like it might have been a temporary measure for the Six Nations, but clearly, England lack a 10 or a 12 who can do everything required of their yeah. requisite positions on their own. So the only alternative, really, is to stick with the balance that Ford's playmaking ability and Farrell's defence and goal-kicking actually provides Yes. until he can find something that's presumably more... Because England didn't look very good with Farrell at 10, to be quite honest. No, but then again, yeah, but it, it wasn't the worst, most torrid period of the game. But yeah, they, they looked True. all at sea, and so did Paul Luther. Yeah, and then and then Ford comes on, he slots into the 10 shirt, and all of a sudden everything clicks a little bit and part of it I'm sure is familiarity but certainly for the the short term I just he's got there's no reason to rip it up is there no I don't no. think well they've got a one test lead they've got a chance to win a test series in Australia don't fuck with that shit now even I Ben Young's looked reasonable it was a very strange week it was a very it was strange a really week really odd game um yeah, so Goodwise off Twitter, uh, Lawrence Hooper on Twitter said the England pack was very good, yes, which we've already talked about. Yes, he also was. said, which is a very good point, this Ireland's Ulster spine. Mm. Best Henderson, Jackson, Marshall, Trimble, Payne. All Ulster. I don't actually, when you think about it, and it's true, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting. Obviously, there's been so much talk of sort of how, you know, all these Connacht players should be coming into the, the Ireland team, but I think perhaps Ulster's contribution to the current Ireland team perhaps goes a little bit unheralded and uh, yeah you chuck Tommy Bowen and Stuart McCloskey in there as well yeah, <laughs> all of a sudden you've got a hell of a lot of Elster players in that team but Will Parslow got in touch on Twitter at Blood and Mud and he, and he said and to, you know let's give some credit to the Aussies uh, Michael Hooper uh, he said Michael Hooper might look like a caricature, caricature drawing of his own face but he's still terrifyingly <laughs> good and that's a, that is brilliant I see that's a very it's good a, way it's, it. it's top notch uh, Chuck is ruffle out in there as yeah. well I mean we talked about see, him you see Hooper's finished for his try the, the, oh god yeah the way he stopped I mean, and went again well, he, he, actually, well, he didn't really stop he just he just changed gear didn't he in, in, in yeah, the space he's not... of like 7 metres he has a, a really weird kind of he almost has a sort of NFL running back kind of athleticism yeah, where he's true. got that kind of he's got that burst in very short spaces that can get him up to an incredible lick and then and it sort of shouldn't be possible for a man of his size but he does and it's yeah ridiculous athlete Israel Folau oh, yeah. god he makes god he makes the game look he looks like everybody else is sort of playing the game you know like walking football for like <laughs> broken old men who can't yeah. quite play anymore yeah like he looks everyone else looks like they're playing walking rugby and he's just sort of playing it at a normal and yet pace. he looks like he's jogging that's the other thing exactly he doesn't actually look like he's sprinting that glide no. and run thing he has it's incredible it's i could watch him play all day long he is just he's probably one of the most naturally gifted athletes i think i've seen on a rugby field in a very long time dave james and, on twitter got in touch at Blood and Mud and he mm. said and I think he might be on your list as well uh, Toby Fallatow oh god just he's, just, he's superhuman that man like, it's ridiculous the be- yeah I, I'm going to nail my colours to the mast I'm going to say that the best two eights in the world were on show at Eden Park on Saturday morning and for once I truly couldn't tell you which one was the better player after the game because Fallatow's game is always brilliant he is never less than very very good 
and yet he raised it to a level on Saturday morning that I genuinely couldn't believe it at times. He was when he's freed from that holding pen around the breakdown. And yeah, the all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he was just like just like we asked. Yeah, he was. He start. They started using him like Kieran Reid, and all of a and Kel surprise, he became as unplayable as Kieran and, Reid is on his day. And still, again, looked totally emotionless. <laughs> Poker like, face yes, all the way like through. The game is completely passing him by. Like. I mean, it reminds me. It reminds me of John Coffey from the Green Mile, another big black character <laughs> the Green Mile. Completely com- emotionless face, but terrifying yes. and can like perform miracles. He's he yes. is basically John Coffey <laughs> from the Green Mile. I mean, when you think next year that like the Lions' number eight options are going to be Billy V. Toby. Heaslip, who seems to be having a bit of a heat. A, career resurgence and, and Dave Denton. in the last couple of months and Dave Denton <laughs> he, could, he could be pushing them all couldn't he big Dave and Nathan Hughes don't forget oh he can't what get a, he can't get on a Lions tour next year I fucking hope not but uh, that would be know, I mean alright fine he's going to qualify for England but squeeze on a Lions tour would be an absolute disgrace <laughs> hey if Ricky Flutie can do it that's we had been playing for England for a year at least hadn't he he had been yeah um, hey, he was one of the only yeah. few half decent centres we had in that very dark, dark time. <laughs> it was a very bad time. Oh, if only Tom Shanklin hadn't got injured. Anyway, um, yeah, but Falatau, I didn't think it was possible for him to be better than he already was, and yet somehow, good God, he was on another planet. Probably the best individual performance of the weekend, I think, and in terms of yeah. just what he did. On the quiet, Ross Moriarty, I think he completely changed. In, on the quiet, that Wales team. Because mm, compared I think... to like the, the way, the, 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 as you mentioned, with the angles that he runs, he offloads, mm. and he does all the rock hard dog stuff that Lydiate does, but then offers you all this other stuff. And there was there was always this different support outlet and different running outlet that that wasn't there before. It made a huge difference, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think people have been quite harsh on him in the like post game analysis and in the ratings. Really. Cause... You know, yeah, because I think because they're used to seeing him either playing at number eight or or like that game against Italy where he was, you know, just running through everything for fun. And I think they they're looking for him to basically have that sort of dynamism and sort of all these big carries. But no, I think you're completely right. He was doing all of the the gritty stuff that freed up Warburton and Fallatown to be more effective elsewhere around the park. And yeah, and he wasn't he wasn't shown up by Kano at all, and that that, that oh, no. in itself is testament yeah. to what a game he had. If anything, Reed, if Kieran Reed hadn't dragged that back row kicking and screaming through that game, mm. they would have got absolutely mashed. Because yeah. I honestly don't think that either Kano or Kane had very good games at all. They no. got completely outplayed. And Warburton, and... he's not had a brilliant game for a while, has he? In no, all honesty. Well, he's been injured he for was, a lot, hasn't he? But yeah, but he and, was and outstanding. A, Some of the turnovers. A first game, a first game back, he was great. Ellis Jenkins was very good when he came on as well. I mean, mm. finally, oh, there was a lovely picture um, of him and his mum and dad. Did you see it on Twitter? Oh yeah, it was great. It was lovely. Um, other goods for me, Connor Murray. Yes. Do you know for how like for quite a long time Connor Murray has kind of looked like Mike Phillips in his pomp, but not as good. Yes. Like. On Saturday, he had one of those games where he looked like Mike Phillips when Mike Phillips was at the absolute top of his game because he was combative, he was physical, he was tenacious, and he was everywhere. He completely controlled that game. And he was a leader that they've been looking for. And he was a leader, yeah. yeah. Like Paddy Jackson without Murray at nine, I think would probably have shot himself. Imagine Owen Redden there. 
Well, exactly. Marmion yeah. as, as reasonable as, as as good a season as Marmion has had. Yeah, no, gone under, the I exp- think. Yeah, the experience, the because Fafter Clerk's a good player. In fact, he, he was is, one of the few people who had a good game for him. He did, yeah. Even um, though he looks like a peripheral of... beach boy, he looks like somebody's like deflated Richard Hibbard a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's re- I'd, I'd love to get them in a room together. It would be some sort of weird, like a hall of mirrors, large thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, and it's Troy in the second half. The effort there was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah he was great. Uh, we've already mentioned Reese Webb was very good. Gareth Williams on Twitter mm-hmm. said that that uh, best nine in the Northern Hemisphere. I think that's probably on on, the, on that form. He certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Connor Murray obviously is a very different kind of nine. But I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the pair of them going on the lines next year will not be a bad thing at all. Uh, Jen Phillips got in touch said her good was England winning in Oz, Ireland winning in SA, Saxons winning in SA, and Wales scaring the All Blacks at least for 60 minutes. Good, mm, as we've yeah. said, good weekend to be a Northern Hemisphere rugby fan. It was. A long yeah. time of doom and gloom. Hmm. We'll see what happens this weekend, obviously. Yeah. Have you got any more goods before we move on to shit? I've got one more, and that is Liam Williams, because yes. um, he was basically unplayable. Um, when he's fit and he's on form and he's in the mood um, again it's like they listen to the pod let him do his thing from full back and look what happens they couldn't lay a finger on him in that first half like some of those breaks that he made with that horrible gangly wrong running style of his it's awful but it's so effective Mr Soft from the 80s advert (laughs) it really is and yet I mean it's going to be a massive call who takes a 15 shirt when half penny's fit again if we're keeping trying to maintain this style because yeah, he's such a threat from fifteen when he's on the, he's on form and he's in the mood. Yeah, it was great to see. Let's move on to shit, shall we? Let's. Um, I've got my first shit is Stuart Barnes in the commentary. Now that's a standing mm. order, probably. You yes. can have a standing agenda item, but it seemed to be particularly bad this week. One, he basically crawled up Itoji and Haskell's arse for most of the game. Which he is then his at thing. one point when Curran Drani scored, he said, he said, and that's a try for the big Fijian. Uh, f- from Sydney who was from <laughs> Brisbane yes I loved that so much I'm st- nice to I do mean, that him with George North. that's a try from the big Englishman from North Wales <laughs> it's just so I mean he's all like a combination of him and Mars Harrison is not a good one I mean lest we forget <laughs> go fuck off yeah <laughs> I mean but as I said again, just... the five most depressing words in the English language are Miles <laughs> Harrison and Stuart Barnes. Yeah, it's it's the yeah. Every country has its horrible Homer like sycophantic commentators, but Barnes and Harrison are are quite spectacular. They just bad. they just seem like they seem like the kind of people who should be sat on a veranda in colonial India. <laughs> drinking gin and tonics, ordering like subservient people around. It's just, it just. Yes. I, I'm probably being ridiculously unfair, but that's, mm, that's the picture bit. that I paint: a Panama hat on, basically subju- <laughs> subjugating people with using and using words that are too big for people to understand. But um, but it, the particular clincher this year was at the end when Barnes got really carried away with himself and actually did say the words: "This is Eddie Jones's greatest victory." It's literally, it I hasn't mean, even been. Has it been like? It's yeah, been I mean, eight months. I can't think of any other victories Jones have had in the last twelve months that might no. somehow surpass that. Josh, can you? No, can't, I can't imagine. Defeat never happened. Honestly. There you go. Yeah, so that that was mine. Anything? Anything mm-hmm. with you? Um, one. I'm sort of sort of. I'm being a little bit harsh here, but Hallam Amos 
Before the Six Nations, Gatlin said that Amos wasn't quick enough to be a Test match winger and that his future was at fullback. And ever since then, as Amos has scored a shitload of tries and looked very good, I've been scoffing at that and going, huh. And in fact, I tweeted after um, he gave that uh, pass to Falatau for the first try on, on Saturday morning. I said, ah, oh, Alan Amos is definitely, definitely too slow to be a Test match winger. And then he spent most of the rest of the game demonstrating that maybe I was wrong in that regard because um like don't get me wrong Naholo is an exceptionally quick man but he just kept getting like if you want to show him the outside shoulder you can't get burned like that and like maybe he'll adapt his game when he gets a bit more experience to comp cope for it but certainly for the time being I have to put my hand up and say maybe Gatland was a bit right because the margins are too fine at this level and inferior athletes are going to get found out and it does look like he just doesn't have that real top-end pace to keep pace with a test match winger. There are loads of times, and it happens, and it's amazing when it does happen, that um, it keeps being demonstrated that international rugby coaches know more about the game than people like me and you. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's unbelievable, really, isn't it? But it does seem to happen <laughs> from time to time. Speaking of shit post match now, obviously, I've been I've been I've given Mr. Haskell some credit this week, okay, mm. but I do have to have a bit of a prop at him and say uh, shit was his post match interview, in which uh, Graham what's his name Simmons was being quite fulsome in his praise of him, mm. and James was doing that self deprecation thing he does, oh no bad for an old man like me type thing, and um, but he said anyway you've got man of the we think you've got man of the match but it's not been confirmed, and James has said well if it was Sky they'd have given it to Marrow not me, <laughs> and it was completely deadpan. He didn't oh. smile. His face is totally deadpan. I mean, he really can't help himself, can he? He really can't help himself. <laughs> just... I mean, you know, every time you want to say, you know what, mate, fair enough, and then he just... <laughs> he will do something. He will do he will something, do something like, to ruin he's it. Like, he's like a twatty version of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? See how he does kind of... Sub... Instead of being miserable, he does a twattish thing all the time, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't... It doesn't help him when he does this sort of faux humility thing. Yeah. and then demonstrates that he doesn't yeah. really have much in the way of humility. <laughs> no, yeah, the self-deprecation that only serves the purpose to make him try and big himself up. Yeah, no, it's not um, good, is it? Yeah, so at Lawnessy people, I do try and like him, <laughs> and then he does that, and I just can't anymore. Part of me thinks, well, he is kind of honest in post in interviews. Yeah. He's not one of these people who just... He's not a drone, is he? No. Media coach nonsense. He's an interesting person to interview, I imagine, but then he does things like that, and the interesting mm. is outweighed by the twattiness, yeah. so we can't really do it, so there you go. What have you got to shit there, Josh? Uh, Aaron Cruden's goal-kicking. Um, yes. Let's not beat around the bush here. Like he's a very, very talented player who absolutely deserves to be the All Blacks' yes. new ten because of the way he gets them playing. But you can't be a Test match goal kicker and fifty percent success ratio. Like New Zealand are expected to win every game, and they're not going to win every game if your goal kicker can only hit half his tries at goal. Like, I mean, at the Chiefs they've got uh, scary eyes, scary smile, Damian McKenzie, McKenzie yeah. as the sort of security blanket there, and you wonder if Hanson might maybe consider giving him or someone else who can kick goals um, a shot of the All Blacks back line going forward because yeah you can't carry on like that it's not good at all anything else? Uh, on the subject of All Blacks uh, Ryan Crotty don't get it um, no yeah like Steve Hansen must be counting down the days until Sonny Bill comes back from Rio because he's a tidy honest like relatively mistake free player but 
he doesn't have except the, on Saturday. Well, we yeah, about twice, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, but he, he doesn't, doesn't have that sort of X factor that you expect from a player. He doesn't instill fear like Nonu would, would he? No, even God, when Nonu no. wasn't passing much, he was fairly terrifying. There's nothing exceptional about him as a player that really sets him apart. I don't think he's just he's a good, honest pro. He's maybe a squad player. He'd probably be starting for like most other teams, I guess, but in a sort of slightly joyless way. And yeah, no, I just don't see it. Um, one more shit, then, and we'll finish this up. Uh, ooh, You've got one. I've got two. I can roll. I'll just do two quickly. Actually, Mike Brown. Um, can we put him out of his misery now, please? Just. Oh, yeah, it's no, a very good one. It's not yeah. working. Just. It's just, probably the only really. It was the only negative, I think, from yeah. Saturday for him. And he did look. He looks poor. He looks lacking in confidence. And if he's not confident, his limited game plan just becomes a nightmare. Yeah. It's like he's 31 now, and like whatever it was a few years ago that caused him to raise his performance level far above that which it had been for most of his career to make a good test rugby player out of him is gone. And yes. he just looks really average now. Um, and my final one is just JP Peterson. Um, for everything that he did at the end of the game, like he was probably one of the most experienced players in that Springbok team. You know, he's won a World Cup, he's played in like a World Cup final. Like, and there he is running down a blind alley with three covering tackles trying to squeeze over in the corner with time expired when he should have just cut inside and recycled the ball and instead he just let himself get bungled into touch by three men and lost the game and it's like you kind of expect a player of his experience in such an inexperienced team as well to show a bit of leadership and a bit of now yeah. and he just did not show any of that at all. Well, it was probably a perfect vignette for the entire day. It really that, was. It? it was poor it was... decisions by people who should know a lot better and mm. poor execution as well. Massively so. Okay, that was a shit good race this week. We mentioned before we were going to do this thing called the rugby lexicon, which mm. is where we. That's uh, it, what it's. It's it's an alternative dictionary made up of terms from the game of rugby yeah. so you know where you can start using rugby to, or terms we made up that are due to, to do rugby and use them in everyday life to try and yes. explain things for example um, an adjective I came up with was, was Vern mm. as in Cotter emotionless yet strangely moving <laughs> so you yeah. could say that some people would describe the XX's music as Vern I would, however, describe it as shit. <laughs> I like the accents. Um, <laughs> I thought you might. I don't know why. first album you know. was great. Generally, uh, the grumpy lady indie. I'm all over it. Um, or, or there's another adjective might be on. Yes. Something that's inexplicable. Yes. Very the good. The career and success of Adam Sandler remains, for many, completely on. Massively on. Um, yeah, I've got a couple. Um, some of these are slightly fresh. You might... Um, Wales. <laughs> Uh, the verb to leave a job half finished um, <laughs> so for example I swear the plumber turned up three hours late then fucked off half an hour later with the bathroom totally whales what a twat <laughs> yeah anything else um, I've got to cruden the, a noun uh, to be exceptional at one part of your job only to be utterly awful at another hugely important aspect of it um, <laughs> his bedside manner is wonderful but the way the surgeon keeps killing his patients does mark him out as a bit of a cruden I've got zabrizo which is a mm. noun Mm. Or you could call it Trevebra. Trevebra. Combination of zebra and Treviso, basically. Mm -hmm. A zebrizo, a low quality item, the worst in their class or content. Context. <laughs> so, for example, 
While they have spent a fair bit of on redesign in an attempt to turn things around, Toyota cars remain the absolute zebrizos across <laughs> all model ranges. Um, I've got uh, a Debris Craig, uh, the adjective. Uh, it's buying something that seems like an eminently sensible purchase in theory, but in practice it turns out to be an absolute disaster. Um, just like the bath owner's track record with buying back row players. Um, on reflection, my decision to buy a Volkswagen diesel was a total Bruce Craig move. <laughs> I've got a verb, Ben Young, the verb to Ben Young, <laughs> to take longer than required to complete a basic task. For, for example, seriously, we should have been at the venue 10 minutes ago and you're still Ben Younging over getting ready. I told you the black dress looked fine. That's, and I think that's a direct quote from Kenny Logan just uh, before the Sports Personality of the Year award to, uh, like to Gabby. <laughs> um, so that's well, the, yeah, I've got one more, and that is uh, Ben Teo, uh, verb. And that is to frequently change your mind about a seemingly simple or straightforward decision. <laughs> uh, just like the big centre changes his international affiliation depending on his sport, his location, the phases of the moon or how nice his hair looks. Um, I know Revolver's the best Beatles album, but sometimes I bent here between that, Rubber Soul and Please Please Me. <laughs> Revolver is the best Beatles album. Yes, it End is. End of discussion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there you go. That's the rugby lexicon, ladies and gentlemen. So if you have got any that you can think of, which are sort of things taken from a rugby contest you can use somewhere else I'll give you one last one to Dean Ryan mm. uh, to use questionable statistics to make an equally <laughs> to make it to make an equally questionable point <laughs> it's all, for example it's all very well for the right honourable gentleman to Dean Ryan about the efficacy of Trident but I for one support the policy that, you, that the UK needs a giant war machine to shore up its dwindling status in the world <laughs> very yeah, good so, so yeah um, yeah so please send it blood and mud if you've got anything to add to the rugby lexicon there are lots and lots of rugby lexicon on the on the website as well i've been doing it we've been, i've been doing it for quite a number of years but it's always a fun thing to add to because as you point out josh you had some new ones for this weekend it is. there's always stuff that can be added we have reached the end of the week we have uh, every week i think oh there's not much on the list here we could end up finishing under an hour <laughs> and every week i go oh look it's an hour and 15 minutes mm, last week was even worse because because I, I hadn't edited in the ian Henderson argument about okay, my, yeah. my new best friend so mm. it, went, it went on even longer anyway we are about to finish with the loop as we always do which is Indeed. the world's first and only rugby related playlist now available on Spotify a fair number of you have subscribed to it thank you very much don't forget it's now collaborative on Spotify so you can add yes. rugby related tracks to it to your heart's consent this week is a very topical one I think where do you stand on pseudo Irish early 90s hip hop Josh I mean it's yeah I mean I'm not opposed to it in in theory <laughs> it's quite I mean, a niche uh, genre it's a, it's, it is a niche genre it's I mean I'm all for exploring genre. some more esoteric genres out there I mean well, I'm not opposed to it in theory but but anyway so this week I'm going for Jump Around by House of Pain oh, after CJ Standers of course leap in the air because one Irish two yes he jumped around and uh, Lambie ended pain. up in a house of pain. Exactly. It couldn't it work better. Ticks literally so then, all of the boxes. It ticks literally all of the boxes. Synergy. So, so, Josh, we'll see you next week when no doubt we will all have lost. Probably. Um, and I will. Well, we'll find out. Take care, mate. Mm -hmm. Bye bye. Take care. Bye.
Pick up your phone while driving, and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit, and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car, and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points, and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.